Well, this discussion, I don't know that I could even characterize it as a sermon, but it's going to be a discussion of single young men. Maybe not single. I don't know that I want to add that. Let's just make it young men. The good thing about that subject is that examples of it are easier to find than single young women in the, in the Bible. That's too bad, but one of my objectives in this is let's appreciate the difficulties that single men face before the Lord. Young men are affected by a lot. We're affected by our experience growing up. Various years can be more important to us than others. Young men are particularly influenced by the example of their father. And I was blessed because I had an admirable father. He was quiet, thoughtful, and obviously a Christian. He was recognized for that, and he practiced that wherever he was. He was a lawyer. Is that possible, a Christian lawyer? Well, it is. <laughs> and he, he exemplified it to me. One of the things young men think about, or at least I did, was about family and the recognition that if you had a family, you as the man of the house were accountable to God for it. That's a strong burden. And you think about that. Christians were very important to me. (laughs) I knew how to be saved. I went to an assembly Sunday school. And because I was kind of an outsider there, people looked for, looked to the opportunity to witness to me. So I developed a testimony to keep them quiet. And it just, I, I was cruising along. I looked pretty good. I looked pretty Christian-like. I was not an, not an abuse to my family. But several things happened because I had to find out by experience. I looked around me. And the Christians of my age couldn't do anything that I cared about seeing. They weren't particularly good at sports. They weren't, they could sit quietly in a a meeting and knew the right things to say. (laughs) That wasn't enough for me. I wasn't sure I really wanted to be a Christian. But then there's this other side. You're affected by experiences growing up. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine. My uh, Winnie didn't like me to do this, so she'll she'll suffer through it. She suffered through a lot worse, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I was invited to go away to camp for two weeks at Deerfoot Lodge. I never knew a thing about it, never heard about it, never thought about camp. And we never went any place as a family. My father didn't have time to take away from his practice and just never got away, never took a trip or anything. All of a sudden, I was invited to go away to camp in the Adirondacks. Whoa. We weren't even within striking distance of the Adirondacks there in New Jersey, and there was certainly nothing to compare to it. It was a young man 
who was committed to going off to be a missionary doctor in our seminar, little, little group there in Elizabeth. Bob Carpenter was his name. And Bob was a guy that you just met and you admired. And he's the one came and asked me, because he was a section chief at Deerfoot at the time. And I said, sure, that sounds good to me. What's it like? And he talked about swimming, boating, camping out, hiking, all sorts of attractive things. I said, sure, that sounds good. That's, I'll give, uh, let my parents know about it. We'll see what they say. And thankfully, they said, okay, because it was Christian. And that was what mattered. <laughs> and so off we went. I remember my father with that old car, 1934 Dodge. Have you ever seen one? There were only a few back when I was a kid then, and off we went. There were no expressways. He knew the way. He knew the highways to take, and we wandered up through New Jersey to New York State, wandered up there, wandered up to Albany, went over to Amsterdam, New York, along the Mohawk River, headed north and drove through the woods. Oh, boy, it was getting better all the time. I was sitting there looking out the window saying, boy, this is terrific. And off we went and went another 50 miles or so into the woods and came to Speculator, New York. And we weren't even there yet. Little town. The transition was to a dirt road. The highway through Speculator was now a dirt road north of Lake Pleasant, and we drove about 10 miles there and then turned off on another dirt road, which was much more than a timber road. And my father managed to get the old bird up there through the place around the rocks and into the into camp. And I discovered it was the first year that people didn't have to walk into camp. <laughs> they used to drop you off a mile, and it was a mile hike. They'd have a wagon to carry your luggage, and that was about it. But when you got there, it was beautiful. You had a whole lake to look at. And there were Christians there. There were Christians in the staff, and they didn't look like the Christians I was used to around New Jersey. These people did things that I didn't think I could do. They climbed. They rappelled down cliffs. They went hiking. They did just all sorts of wonderful things. I didn't know it, but the Lord had taken me on that trip to introduce me to himself. Everything about it moved me in the direction of the Christianity that I knew and wanted to be. And then I discovered later that the theme that is attempted at Deerfoot is to produce men of God in a wilderness setting. I still fixated on that objective. Sure enough, I came to know the Lord up there in that first year. And I just decided I had to get back to Deerfoot Lodge somehow or other. So from then on, I was, as my father's famous phrase was, you want to do that? Save your money. Wait a minute, I haven't got any money. Get a job. Oh, but I did. And I put money away and I could pay for at least half of it. It wasn't that cheap. 
But most of my spiritual growth was at Deerfoot Lodge. And I wanted to maintain that, but that was not easy. But it put me on a path that I would love to see every young man coming up in the assemblies, every young man, follow. And you know, our society has reduced the recognition of fathers in our world. Fathers have been eliminated in a lot of ways. As in more of a hindrance than an encouragement, they've been eliminated by exclusion. In many cases, the attack on marriage is a very real thing in our society. It's sad. There's a focus on the faults of worldly fathers. Rightly so. But that's a responsibility for young men as they consider growing to adulthood and having their own family. And as I looked ahead to that, I was aware of a responsibility that was going to be mine. People know you ought to do this. You know, the statistics are in favor of it. Families that grow up one side of the equation with no fathers have a terrible record of producing positive children. Terrible. Criminals come out of that. Rampant divorces destroying families has become something of a model for today. And I feel sorry for boys with no father to imitate or even learn from. And those that are here, learn from your father. Because he's coming through it. Yet there's more than fathers to be considered. Because my exposure to Deerfoot Lodge meant I had to consider the Lord in my life. And I had never done that before. But they told me what I should do up there at Deerfoot. You should read your Bible. You should have a quiet time every day. You should be studying the scriptures. You should be praying. You should be thinking about it. And at all costs, don't miss going to church. Who? That was my life. And if you, you see, I have this engineer's passion for charts. I can't, I haven't got anything to draw one on, but if you looked at my spiritual life, it went like this. It got to a high point, and that was where I was at Deerfoot Lodge. And then it started down. It went down slow at first. My quiet time got a little further away, and it kind of dropped off where I wasn't thinking about it. But then along would come the summer, and I'd say, boy, i got to get my act together. i got to go back to Deerfoot. And I want to look like a Christian when I go there. I want to look like a man of God. And that was my objective, part of my accountability. So I considered both my father and the Lord in my life, and I would encourage anyone to do the same thing. Thinking about providing for a family and a wife and possibly children when you're not making any money is not an easy or an acceptable thing to look at. And you got a lot of things to try and figure out because marriage is kind of a financial decision as well. <laughs> so I had to come up with a job, and I thought about it and went on, and the Lord directed me to a school I hadn't planned to go to. Stevens, I became an engineer. fact of the matter is, I was never going to be a good engineer. 
when he constantly is saying to me, you can, you're an engineer, you can fix that. <laughs> Not always the case. But finding the direction of the Lord and understanding that the Lord was moving me in certain directions and taking steps to have me grow into it was a wonderful thing to discover. Then I had to say, okay, where am I going to find somebody that's going along this same path? And happily, the Lord brought me into that. And there she sits, right over there. So a lot to reflect on as you're growing up as a kid. And that used to be on my mind quite a lot. But let's look at a few biblical examples. And I got a few, and I'm not going to spend too much time on any one of them. But I'll ask you to look up a few verses as we go along. And they're only part of the verses I'd looked up and thought about. But you see if I'm not right, and I'll tell you who the people are. First one is my one Old Testament character, Joshua. Joshua, who was he? He was Moses' number two. Right from the time he was a young person, he was the assistant to Moses as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was involved in everything, and he was faithful. Look at Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 to 24. And this was a time in Moses' life when he, he was going to have to get out of office. And he was told by God to nominate his replacement. There's this young man, relatively young. The Lord said to Moses, verse 18, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand upon him. And have him stand before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. And you shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim. And remember, he had two stones in his uniform, the priest did. And he'd stick his hand into the pocket and he'd take one of the stones that felt the same. And depending on what one he, he took out, that was the direction the Lord had given him. Hmm. So he'd stick it in, and if he got the Urim, that meant go ahead. And Joshua was up to Joshua to ask the questions. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. Can you imagine that picture? There's about a million people there with Israel. Moses had been leading them, had was in, contributed to battle. You remember him holding up his staff, and as long as he could hold it up, they'd beat the tar out of the people they were fighting against. But he started to get tired, and his staff started to come down, and the Amalekites would start winning. And so they got up there, and they, the priest held, held Moses' hand up. When you have things like that going on, and you're the assistant... <laughs> And all of a sudden, the Lord has said, you're going to be the one to lead the people. What a deal, huh? He was commissioned to lead the nation. And it came directly from the Lord. 
through Moses and before the people and all the other leaders. And the Lord made him successful. You can look at the next the next chapter, turn over to Joshua toward the end of the chapter. And we'll look at a couple more verses in a minute. But he was successful in leading the nation. Started off with that little dust up there at Jericho. Great big city with walls thick as anything and looked impregnable. And the Lord told him what to do, just march around quietly six times. And then the seventh time, march around a few more times. And then when you get to a certain point, and I tell you what, you stop, we're going to blow the trumpets, you shout, and the Lord's going to give you that city. Whoa. But that's exactly what he did. The walls fell down, and they took Jericho. And they started their path through the nation of Israel that God had given to the people of Israel. The Lord made him successful. He was a man designated to work with the high priest and receive direction from God. And he was faithful, faithful throughout the entire life, his entire life. Now look over in Joshua chapter 23. That's the next book that he wrote himself or was written about him. Joshua 23, verses 14 and 15. Joshua is talking to the nation of Israel. He says this, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. He knew that his life was not going to extend too much longer. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. You know that, people? Here's the account of your life and my life. And he went down in chapter 24. There's his, some of his last words. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built. You have lived in them. You're eating from vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great final pronouncement that Joshua made. I love that statement. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a statement of purpose, and he lived up to it. Joshua. Here's one example. He came up in a certain way, but not too many were going to start off their life as the assistant to Moses. He was the only one. I want to take another one. Familiar name, Timothy. Look over in Acts chapter 16. We'll find out where he came from. First three verses. Paul being written about, he came also to Derby and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. He's already a disciple. 
a learner, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these parts, for they knew that his father was a Greek. So there are certain things Timothy had to suffer through, and that was one of them. He wanted to be him to be completely acceptable to the Jewish people who he was going to, to minister, to witness, to tell of the gospel. And he took Timothy with him. Paul wrote the book to Timothy. And he wrote and told him what it was, what he was to preach and how he was to live. And there's a lot of directions in those books of Timothy. They can be important examples for us today. It's a great word. How you should behave in the house of God is mentioned in Timothy. Timothy, though, we kind of have to read between the lines in his life, was kind of a shy guy. He was a faithful priest, preacher, but he didn't volunteer himself. And Paul consistently, as he wrote to Timothy, and you can see some examples of that, encouraged him to rely on the gift that he had and preach the gospel. So he was a person that had to be encouraged. And Paul encouraged him. And this is kind of one of the first examples of mentoring that we find in the scriptures. He encouraged him because he knew him. He sent him with Silas. He sent him with a veteran to do things, and he stopped at Ephesus. And by that time, Timothy was prepared to be a teacher, to speak to people who were interested in growing, and he showed his, he had seen and lived with the Apostle Paul. So he knew a good bit about the life that he was being called to. Here's another one, Titus. Titus is another guy in the story of the Apostle Paul. Now, there's nothing shy about Titus. Titus was the kind of guy that was ready to go any place you wanted to send them. He may have been a little overenthusiastic, I don't know. But he sent them on difficult assignments. He said, Go down to Corinth and collect money from them. <laughs> Corinthians were not easy people. Titus went right at it, raised the money, and transported it. The book in Titus is very concise and straightforward. When Paul wrote him a letter, he didn't have to gussy it up at all. He just told him, here's what you got to do. Get on it. And he did. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose, verse 5, is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 
That's the kind of thing he would say to Titus. Verse 23 of that same chapter that isn't here. He can say directly to Titus, be of good courage. And he knew Titus was of good courage. And depend on the Holy Spirit. And he did. And he accomplished great things for the Lord. The next one, John Mark. You remember the story of John Mark? First missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. He was invited to go with them. And he went with them. And they went to, went to Cyprus. They apparently went around Cyprus in, a, in their first visitation. When they got back to the port, John Mark went home. He decided he'd have enough of this missionary business. And he went home. He went along as a helper, but went back having decided he didn't want to be that helper. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. This is Peter. He was in Jerusalem. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. He came from a Christian family, very solid one. 13 verse 5, when they reached Salamis, this is in Cyprus, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper, John Mark. Now Paul and his companions, verse 13, put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This first journey produced controversy among Jewish believers, whether or not converts to Christianity, believers in the Lord, had to had to be good Jews as well, had to go along with all the practices and ideas of Judaism. And they decided the best thing to do would be to go back to Jerusalem and talk with the apostles there, and they did. And they decided that this was not a requirement of the new faith in Jesus Christ. The Gentiles did not have to become observant Jews. Quite a change. But then the issue with John Mark came up as they planned a second journey. Barnabas was back there in in Jerusalem. They planned a second journey. And the Bible says a sharp disagreement occurred about taking John Mark again. Sharp. That's a pretty heavy word. In other words, the disagreement was not just polite. It was clear. It was locked down. Paul and Silas went on the next trip. No mention of John Mark. Barnabas took John Mark. He and Timothy filled the vacancy left by John Mark. So Paul and Silas took Timothy, and off they went. They went on to violent resistance in Philippi, beaten, thrown into jail. The jailer was saved. I was wondering, what do I, men, what what do I have to do to be saved? You know the answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he was, and his family as well. Later on in life, 
They went in different directions, Paul and Silas, around toward Philippi and all over the place. And John Mark regained the confidence of Paul. And we find verses that account for him at the end of Paul's ministry. Said, send John with, with uh, some of the winter clothes, for he's valuable to me. And that's something. Last one. A guy named Onesimus. I think he's got a whole book about him. Turn over to, to uh, Philemon. Philemon is a letter going from Paul to the guy that owned Onesimus. You say, well, that's terrible. That's slavery. Yes, it was, and it was very common. And it was different than U.S. slavery. And this was a case of a runaway slave. That was Onesimus, who ended up finding the Lord in his travels and becoming a believer and finding himself in the company of Paul. And he helped out. He just did everything he could. Now, assisting a runaway slave would be a violation of the law. Easy to prove. But Paul went ahead, thought about it, took the risk, and wrote a letter to Philemon. And Paul sent Onesimus back with that letter and asked his former owner, to receive him as a brother in Christ. He's been a, there'd been a major change in Onesimus. And Paul pulled out all the stops. He reminded Philemon of how much he owed him, Paul, for his salvation, for all the things he'd learned from Paul, and said, don't worry about it. Anything he has cost you, I will repay per- personally. So he was giving him a lot of endorsement. And Paul expressed his confidence in Philemon's reception of Onesimus and the restoration of this new believer. Now there's a, there's a list of people for you. What do we learn from each one of them? There's something to be learned about the progression of young men in their life. Some of it's involuntary. You don't know that it's coming. That was my case. I didn't know that going away to camp was going to be such an important thing for me in terms of changing my life and my objectives in life. And it did. That exists to this day. I've been involved in camps and the Lord's work ever since. I think it's a great work. But here are the men. Think about it. Think about it in terms of young men who are going someplace and want to get to the right place. Joshua. He was a qualified successor to Moses. I don't know if you've ever tried to appoint a successor to somebody. It's not all that easy. Every person that has a leadership role leaves a mark. And sometimes the next guy cannot be so well accepted. 
Joshua was immediately accepted by the whole Israel community. They knew him. They knew he knew Moses. They knew how faithful he was. They knew they would continue to be blessed of the Lord under Joshua because he was proven. He was a person that could be immediately appointed and immediately accepted. There's Timothy. Timothy was shy. He needed encouragement. He needed to be pushed a little bit. You can do this, Timothy. Oh, I don't know if I can or not. Yes, trust the Lord and go ahead, Paul would tell him. He required encouragement, and he got it from somebody that had invested a lot of his life into his life. Sometimes that's necessary. So you older guys, think about who you're, who you're bringing along. Because that can be an important role and was. Titus. Oh, here was a guy, just the one you want, a hard charger. All you had to do was tell him what needed to be done. And he said, get out of the way. I'll take care of it. There are people like that, believe it or not. They're not always easy to manage. <laughs> they may charge off in a different direction than you like. But you've got to leave that with the Lord sometimes, too. They're independent. What do you do with those kinds of people? Give them a good assignment, something that will challenge them. They love to do it. you got John Mark. Here's a guy with potential. They saw him as having potential, and he blew it. He turned his back on him and went home. And I'm not going to waste any time talking about whether Barnabas or Paul was the, was right in that argument. They came to a right decision. They separated, and Paul took Silas. Barnabas took John, and they both seemed to have some degree of success. But Silas was important to the Apostle Paul. Shows us something about second chances, doesn't it? It's awful hard to really blow it with God. God rehabilitates people. Makes it right with others. And is always available with us for a second chance. Mm. And there's Onesimus. He had a bad background. He needed help to restore himself to acceptability. And that was the ministry of Paul in his life. How do we apply all this? What are our expectations of others? Do you have expectations of young men? I hope you do. Single young men who are interested in serving the Lord as we contact them. If you've had much to do with camping, you find out about that. There are young men who can be called to do other things if the going gets tough. That's a big disappointment to a camp director, I'll tell you that much. There are others who are just as faithful and will show up on a given day prepared and ready to do whatever needs to be done. Those people are worth their weight in gold. How do you decide who's who? Well, you let the Lord do it. So how do you evaluate those expectations? 
Joshua, Joshua, you could look at his past work and realize that he was fully qualified and then watch him successful for the full term of his ministry, of his leadership of the nation. Commended for it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great objective for young men. Timothy, these shy people, evaluate the job that they're doing. They may not do it the same way other people do it. You're not responsible for the, for the methods, for the things that come out. But feel free to push the shy ones. And think about what they can do. Trust your evaluation. Trust the ideas that the Lord gives to you about them. There are a few Tituses around. They're ready to charge anything at any, any time. Let them go. Get out of the way. Let them do something a little different if they really are committed to doing it. And just see what's going to happen. Be prepared to step in and help. But go ahead with it. John Mark. Have you run into any John Marks in your life? People that have blown it? It's necessary to find forgiveness to have them be productive. Can you do that? Can you be that kind of a person? You must be. Trust them when you observe the change, when they have actually changed their direction, and you can understand that it has happened. Trust it, because the Lord is forgiving them too. Those are harder to figure. Sometimes you got to do a lot of praying about the John Marks. I can think of some in my long life. I've seen some change and some wish they had changed. Glom on to the ones who have changed, that you can see it, and commit them to the Lord's work. There's Onesimus. You have a bad record. And all he may need is not a new job, but help in being acceptable. Don't be afraid to help them. Don't be afraid to pick them up, lift them up, and encourage them, and then see what happens. Some people don't really change. Other people change a lot, and you can observe it. Single Christian men, lots of unknowns, but it's a joy to watch them. It's a joy to watch the the accomplishments that they can make. And I've been on both ends of the thing. You know, I've been on the group that made decisions on these kind of things. And a lot of times I have enjoyed watching the outcomes of those decisions. The Lord brings people And you think of these people, they all kind of had different jobs. And it's hard to say who is the most important. I don't think we're looking at importance particularly. But they absolutely have an impact. So think about it. And be 
appreciative of what young men go through as they try to move ahead in this world. They're not going to get much encouragement in the world. The world is trying to tell them they're not necessary. And if they're really following the Lord, that that's a foolish, foolish quest. Because God doesn't even exist. That's your imagination talking there. That is not true. I came away from that first year at Deerfoot knowing that God existed, that he was with me from then on, and he has been. You have to operate on that confidence. That's faith. And move ahead with it. Bad things can happen in the meantime. Things don't come out exactly as you planned. I don't like that. I like to make a plan and execute it and have it work perfectly. That's what I learned in engineering school. <clears throat> Doesn't always work that way. But we need to have the mind of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And be faithful. I hope this is helpful. I don't know if it will be, but I hope it is. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father, you have given us examples of many different people who have been called to be men of God and to serve you. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us all the fire to encourage young men to step up and step out as men of God. May they become students of the scriptures. May they discuss them and think about them. And may you give them solid families of children who will follow you in the path of life. Bless us now as we separate. We just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.